Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today for our mid-season review episode is my co-host, Curtis. Now, you guys know, normally this is obviously where we would do our game recap episodes on Sunday, but as you are all very well aware, the dogs did not play yesterday as our guys, and and let's be real, us fans too, we're enjoying some much-deserved rest before we embark on the stretch run, beginning with the cocktail party in Jacksonville this weekend, but if you've been listening to us for a while, you know we are going to let you guys down. Game or no game, it doesn't matter. We're going to churn out the content for you guys to give you that Georgia football fix that we all so desperately need. So to that end, we thought this would be the perfect time to pause and just take stock of where we are right now, sitting at 7-0 and through the first seven games, number one team in the country. I know it's not exactly midseason with us having played seven of our 12 regular season games, but it's close enough, right? And in this mid-season review episode, we're going to take a look at some big picture stuff, looking down the road a little bit, and also hand out some mid-season awards. And that's where we're going to bring you guys in. We put these polls out on Twitter, out on Instagram, and we're going to get your take on this as well. And we will get to all that in just a moment. But first, just a few quick reminders for you guys. Alumni Hall is your go-to place for all your Georgia gear and accessory needs. I know you can feel it in the air, the weather's starting to change, and the cold weather gear is hitting the shelves, so get into Alumni Hall today to get your stuff before it all sells out. You can visit them in person in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens, or if you're not local to the city, you can just visit them online at alumnihall.com for Georgia football gear that you will not find anywhere else. I also remind you guys about the Normal Town Cottage. If you're looking to make a trip to Athens for any reason, whether it's for a football game, a concert, visiting friends, family, whatever it might be, the Normal Town Cottage is the best place to stay in town. It's in the best neighborhood in Athens, just a short distance from downtown in a beautiful, quiet area that actually has its own bars and restaurants just a short walk away. It's also got free parking on a tree-lined street. And trust me, they really take care of you there at the Normal Town Cottage. So when you're making your next trip to Athens, make sure to check out the Normal Town Cottage on Instagram, or you can just check them out directly on Airbnb. 
And if you're making the trip to Jacksonville and trying to figure out what you want to do before the game, GTE Presents is putting on a massive Georgia-Florida game tailgate party. There's going to be an open bar. There's going to be food, TVs. Brandon Boykin's going to be there for a meet and greet. It's the best option for your tailgating needs heading into the cocktail party. So go to GTE Presents today and go ahead and order your spot, reserve your spot for the Georgia-Florida tailgate this Saturday. All right, let's get to this midseason review. And Curtis, we're going to start with some big picture things to kind of open things up. And, and let's start with what has really gotten us to this point. And that, of course, is our junkyard dog defense. Listen to some of these numbers, guys. I mean, these might not be new to you because we're number one in a lot of categories. But let's just run through this laundry list of excellence. You got number one in total defense at 209 yards a game, number one in yards per play allowed, only giving up 3.59 yards per play, number one in scoring defense nationally, giving up only 6.6 points per game. And the next closest defense, the number two defense, which I think is Michigan, if I remember correctly, is giving up 14.3 points per game. So twice as good as the second best defense in terms of giving up points. We're also second nationally in rush defense, giving up 64 yards a game. Second nationally in pass defense, giving up 145 through the air each game. We're seventh nationally in sacks per game. We're number one in opponent plays of 20 or more yards. We've given up 14 plays of 20-plus yards. The next closest team has given up 18. And we're also number one in the number of first downs that we have surrendered to our opponents. So essentially, Curtis, across the board, statistically, for whatever that's worth, this is the best defense in the country. That's what people are calling it. And some people are even going as far to call it the best defense in the past decade, if not more, depending on who you're talking to and who's answering that question. Obviously, everyone's watched this team throughout the first half of the season. And we've been riding this defense all year as like the offense has been fine. The offense has not been bad. We've been putting up points. But the offense is trying to get things straightened out, try to get healthy really more than anything. But Curtis, my question for you is this. Big picture question here. Those numbers, in, in a lot of ways, I think speak for themselves. But is our defense as good as everyone says it is? Is it everything they say it is? Or is it, as some of our rivals claim, maybe more of a product of who we have played at this point? What's your take on that? I think we are as good as advertised. But I do want to slow the brakes down just a little bit on, like, we haven't truly faced a team that can stretch us vertically and I think that's when we'll truly know how dominant and great our defense is but even up to this point I still think we have a great defense that even if we face someone that can stretch us I still think we'd be very close to where we are statistically we just don't know how dominant it would be until something like that happens it's hard to answer these like all-time great defense questions until the entire season plays itself out to this point we're we're right there to this point based on production but we've still got a long way to go. I mean, if we get go to, if we go where we want to go, we still got about half the season left. We're hopefully going to play 15 games. That's the goal, right? So we're kind of right at halfway point there. Uh, what gives you concerns about teams stretching us vertically? If that's where you're kind of pumping the brakes because we haven't maybe faced a team that can do that, why is that a concern for you? Because it felt like the teams that have had more than 20-yard plays on us shouldn't have because they weren't like the most. I mean, you saw against South Carolina, there's multiple times they had big plays in the passing game, which shouldn't happen. Um, so the, and then saw it against Auburn, a few broken down coverages, um, things like that, that really say like, if someone can consistently stretch us, would we hold up? Um, I still think, I, I do think we'd hold up, but I just think that we would be giving up more big plays. 
um, which would go into the yardage, especially in the passing game. I don't think you're off base there. I have the same concern. Um, the fact is, Curtis, you're right. We haven't played anyone that really has a viable passing attack that they can beat us through the air like that. Cause we're, we're obviously we're elite in the front six. We're shutting down everyone's run game. And to this point, no one has really been able to do enough through the air to beat us. That hasn't happened. My question though, Curtis is who is that team on the schedule? When you're looking down the road, do you see that team somewhere? Um, the only team right now that I'm really scared of is Tennessee because they've shown that they can make the big play happen. Okay, so are you scared of Tennessee, or is it kind of like, oh, I respect it, I, and I know we need to be ready? Um, I think you have to scare, maybe not so much as the team is that much better, but just the whole atmosphere, away game, things like that, that make you kind of put it into perspective. I do think Tennessee will be our biggest challenge in terms of defending the vertical pass. That's what Josh Heupel wants to do. That's what his offense is built around. They spread the field very well. They stretch They stretch, stretch the defense and stress the defense in a variety of ways. They're much further along on offense than I thought they would. I figured they'd be further along on offense than they would be on defense. But putting Hayden Hooker in, in, in the starting lineup, that's really kind of changed that team. They have some they have some speed receivers that can get by the defense. We saw them hit some big plays in Alabama. We saw them hit some big plays since Ole Miss, but granted, that's Ole Miss's defense. So I do think, Curtis, you're right. In fact, that that's on the road. And that, I mean, I would not be shocked that if that's a night game. I, I right now kind of expect that to be the case. And did you watch the Ole Miss game last weekend in, in, in Knoxville, Curtis? Yes, I did watch that. I saw a few mustard, ball, um, mustard <laughs> bottles flying. Mustard bottles, range balls, all sort of flask, whatever. They are all over the place. Yeah. Um, but that was a great environment. You got to give them credit. That, that is a tough environment. Ole Miss had to give them everything they had to win that football game. So I think you're right. Looking down the schedule the rest of the way, I do think that game against Tennessee is the one I would circle as if there's a team on our schedule in the regular season that can challenge us through the air, it would probably be Tennessee. That's what their offense is built to do. Hinn Hooker has shown the ability to do they have some receivers that can get behind us vertically. And it's also going to be on the road. We know it's going to be on the road. And I think it's probably going to be at night. We'll see how that plays out. Maybe it'll sneak in as a 330 game. Highly unlikely. But if we're still rolling and we're undefeated, there's always that chance CBS wants, wants to get us on there so we can get a lot of eyeballs on that game. But, yeah, I think that's the team. Uh, what about Florida this weekend, Curtis? I, I mean, I know we don't exactly know what the quarterback situation is going to look like. But do they have – the ability to maybe hurt us through the air more than some of the other teams we face, like the Arkansas, the Auburns, the Kentuckys of the world? I'm not sure because I don't know if they have the game changers that you kind of saw. I think Kentucky and Arkansas both have two big, better receivers um, in what they put out there they than do. what you kind of see with Florida. I was more scared at their passing game because they're closer. I mean, not uh, Arkansas, more so Kentucky um, can probably stretch you more because they're a little bit closer to more balanced. Um, but Florida, they just – if you watch them throughout the year, they haven't really shown the tendency to make the big plays happen. Yeah, we've already – you're right. We've already faced the two biggest – the two best receivers that we're going to face in the regular season, we've already played them in Traylon Burks and Wondell Robinson, and we held both those very much in check. I know – I guess I would call it a garbage touchdown late, Wondell Robinson, but we completely held him in check. Uh, I know that you know, he had, like, what, 12 catches in that game for, like, 36 yards. I mean, we completely held it. They were trying to get him in the space, and we were able to kind of wrangle him and keep him uh, from really making those big explosive plays, which he's kind of made routine for them this year. And then Traylon Burks, we just completely shut out of that football game. So I, I think that's true. Uh, and you're right, Florida, what concerns me about Florida or gives me a little bit of pause is that when you have a mobile quarterback and you run him the way they do, whether it's Emory Jones or whether it's, it's Richardson, whoever it's going to be, that creates opportunities in the passing game because it gives them a numbers advantage up front. 
And that kind of dictates some of the things that we can do from a coverage standpoint, gives them easier looks, easier reads, more man coverage opportunities. Typically speaking, not always, but they'll see a lot of that because you got to get guys in the box more often than not, at least teams traditionally do. Hopefully we won't have to because that's been the key to our defense all year. So we've been able to defend the run with our front six without having to roll guys in the box. And that's been able to, we've been able to stuff the run that way because we're that good up front. And then that's allowed us to be really good against the pass as well because we're able to do things, a couple different things from a coverage standpoint, keeping those two high safeties back there in that shell. And we've really been able to protect some of the cornerbacks, especially Keely Ringo, who's young, who's getting better and better, but he's still young. But yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm not certainly not scared of Florida's passing attack. I do think they might pose some challenges to us there in, in different ways. But we've also we faced a couple of teams in Arkansas and Kentucky that have, and you can say Bo Nix as well at Auburn. And we've been able to hold all those offenses with mobile quarterbacks in check. And that doesn't even really do it justice. We've actually been able to dominate all those offenses, even though they had mobile quarterbacks. That's who I was, ex- you know, expecting you to actually talk about with Bo Nix because that's I feel like he's probably better a better version of what you'll see from Florida. He's a there. I, I, I agree with that. They're he's mobile. Like what you'll see from Florida. I think they're, it's a different kind of mobility. Like Bo Nix is not a big part of like their designed run game. Whereas Richardson and Emory Jones are Bo Nix is more like his escapability and his ability to extend plays that Emory Jones and Richardson have not shown the ability to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. I think you just, you, it's just a different way to defend them. You just have to defend Bo Nix a little bit different than how you defend those guys because they are like – Emory Jones and Richardson are their best running backs. Like in terms of like running the football, that's who they actually want to run the football with. And Bo Nix can do that. I think they should use Bo Nix more in the design run game at Auburn. But he's, his, his escapability and just the, the backyard Bo Nix stuff, that's what makes him unique. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson can't extend plays. They can't. Just not like that. I haven't seen that from them. It's just a, it's a different kind of – way you defend them and approach them but look to answer my original question there i i think this defense i mean it's hard to argue with the production right curtis to this point it's really really hard to argue with the production and look i know everyone wants to say well you know georgia of course you know florida fans alabama fans whoever whatever rival fan base out there wants to knock us down right that's just the burdens of being the best defense in the country best of anything everybody wants to bring you down and the knock of course is that well georgia hasn't played anybody but I mean, is that exactly true? I mean, we haven't played maybe an elite offense. I will grant those people that. We haven't played an elite offense. If you look at Arkansas, they're number 79 nationally. I'm sorry, let's take that back. Arkansas is number 19 nationally. That's the best offense we've faced. Uh, they're a top 20 offense. Auburn's number 31. Uh, Kentucky, 78. Clemson, 117. Clemson, we know, is terrible. That is what it is. Clemson is terrible. Uh, Vanderbilt, one. But my question is, especially when you look at teams like Bama and that, who have they played offensively? I mean, that's another yeah, great point. Like, yeah, they got blitzed by AM, who Arkansas held in check like three weeks before. AM's offense for, coming into that game, they couldn't score. They couldn't even score against Colorado. They won that game 10 to 7. And yeah, I know we won a game 10 to 3. I get that. But Clemson's defense, a little bit different than Colorado's defense. They simply couldn't score. I mean, they just they couldn't score. So you're exactly right. It's a great point. Everyone wants to. It, it is. It's just the burden of being number one. People want to drag you down. So they're going to poke holes where they can without doing the same thing to other programs, other defenses. That's fine. But I will grant that we haven't played a truly elite offense. But Arkansas is good offense. We're top twenty. Auburn's good offense. They're not elite, but they're good. They're I mean they're borderline top thirty. Um, and if you look at what's been most impressive to me is our rush defense, right? So Arkansas is number six nationally in rushing offense. And that's with having played us. So if they hadn't played us, imagine where they would be. Because we held them to 75 yards rushing, 2.6 yards per attempt. They're averaging 249 yards per game on the ground. Auburn's number 36 nationally in rushing offense. 
And that's with having played us. They, again, they'd probably be top 25 if they hadn't played us because uh, we've just dragged those numbers down. They're averaging 196 yards game on the ground. We held them to 46 yards and 1.6 yards per attempt. Kentucky's number 41. Same story. They'd be probably borderline top 25 if they hadn't played us. Actually, they were top 25 before they played us. Uh, but they're averaging 190 yards per game on the ground now, number 41 nationally. We held them to 51 yards, rushing 1.9 yards per attempt. And by the way, against Kentucky, we held the SEC's leading rusher to seven yards on seven carries. So you can say we haven't played like elite overall offenses, but we played some really, really good rushing attacks, and we have absolutely stuffed every single one of them, every single one of them. So, look, you you, you can poke holes where you want, but the fact is we have dominated who we have played to this point. And, I mean, who else has played in abundance? Like you said, Curtis, an abundance of, of, of top offenses. Maybe there's somebody here, here and there you play, like, one really good offense here and there, but you haven't played, like, just this murderer's row of offenses. So from a production standpoint, yeah, we are what they say we are. But there is some context there. I will go back to what you were saying there, Curtis. I will agree with you. I will say that we have not been challenged to the air yet. So for me to go out on that limb and say this is the best defense I've ever seen, the best defense ever, the best defense in the, in the last decade or, or whatever, I do want to see how we respond to a, a team that can challenge us in that way. And it might not happen the regular season. I do think Tennessee is probably the closest, but it might not happen until we get to the SEC championship game if we don't screw it up and end up getting there or the college playoff if we don't screw it up and end up getting there. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. But um when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, I have answered this question, but I'm not sure that you have had the chance to address it here on the podcast. And that is, what is your biggest concern for this Georgia football team the rest of the way? I put this out on Instagram, and I'm going to read some of the responses from our listeners, Curtis. And I want you to give me your thoughts on some of them. And then I'll ask you to tell us what your personal biggest concern is. Sound good? Yeah. All right. So let me just go through. I'm not, I, we got a bunch of them here, so I can, obviously I'm not going to have a chance to read all of them. I'm just trying to pick, pick a couple of them out here. So if I don't read yours, I apologize. I'm just trying to go rapid fire here. Uh, T. Cole Taylor, Curtis, says quarterback and secondary. How concerned are you about the quarterback situation? You talked about secondary already. I am concerned. Just I think that that's going to be probably one of my biggest concerns. And the fact is like, we haven't had to beat anyone yet um, because of quarterback play. 
we haven't beaten anyone because of the quarterback putting them putting the team on his back, right? Exactly. Like we have we haven't had to requ- require either quarterback. I mean, I'm not putting Saul Sesson or JT either. Neither quarterback has had to go out there and win us a game. And right yep. now, I'm scared if the fall comes to that, if we're going to be ready to answer the bell. Right not now, that's our that the biggest can. unknown for our team. I feel like yes. is can they answer the bell if they have to throw it forty something times or more? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I would call it just a, it's a concern. I, I do think it's fair to say that's a concern. Like, do we have what it takes right now? And we're we, right now. I would say no because we're not healthy on that side of the ball right now. If we get healthy coming out of this this bye week, then maybe that changes the story and changes the equation. I don't know. But what we've seen the past couple of weeks, if like if we had to put the team on Stetson's back with weapons he had to work with at his disposal, all the guys out and injured, I don't know if we could have done that. Well, the Clemson game, we we needed to throw a little bit more in the Clemson game, but we had no one out there, so we were literally couldn't do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I just, I mean, the past couple weeks, I don't think that the answer is yes. Like, if, if I mean, the thing is, obviously, no one's been able to put up those points on us. But if someone was scoring, you know, like 30, 40 points on us, and we had to, you know, win a shootout last couple weeks, I don't think we would have won that shootout because we just were, you know, walking wounded on the offensive side of the ball. Now, when we get healthy. That could certainly change. So it's also going to be a, a, a you know an adjustment period of working these guys back in. Just because they're healthy doesn't mean that there's not going to be any rust, and you're just going to hit on all cylinders right away. And that's that is a slight concern for me heading into this uh, into this cocktail party game here later on this week. Uh, all right, next one here, Curtis. Um, got a lot about injuries. Jordan Davis staying healthy and getting injured guys back. I've got uh, that's from T. Hardy Morris Yates too says injuries. Uh, let's see, Ben Elliott eighty two says injuries. Oh, Trevor Woodward says staying healthy, crying emoji. Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, Georgia College Football, Georgia CFB. And if you guys aren't following Georgia CFB, make sure you do that on Instagram. That's, that'll keep you updated with everything you need for Georgia football. Uh, injuries, exclamation mark. So a lot of injuries here. Lori Eastman, injuries, all those. So, uh, Kurt, how concerned are you about the injury situation right now? Um, I think you always have to be concerned because, I mean, to me that can be one of the biggest things to uh, – just stunt your team is some big injuries that you guys can't get past. I mean, um, think about going to that Florida game last year. I, yeah, we didn't have the offense to stay with them, but we sure as heck had a defense that shouldn't have been giving up, you know, the wheel routes and all those big plays that, like, you had Kyle Trask out there throwing for a ridiculous amount of yards, and if we hadn't had the injuries to Richard and Jordan Davis, people like that, it may have been a different story. So that can, rail, you know, put a – Yeah, when your quarterback gets knocked out of the game after he's dealing in the first half and then Marcus shows me Jackson. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they I mean, say JT's not healthy. Stetson goes down, God forbid. We are in a lot of trouble, man. We already basically have no receivers. I mean, you saw the game against Kentucky. We, we roll with Ladd and A.D. Mitchell, who are good good receivers. I, I love those guys. But we roll with them. I mean, I don't have the snap count totals in front of me. I would say just from the naked eye, 85% of the time. And that's not normal for us. We are a team that rotates receivers, and we're going to need guys. We need Jermaine Burton to get healthy. We need Jermaine Burton yeah. to be a factor. We need Marcus Rosemey Jackson. We need Jermaine and Marcus. Yeah, we need those two back badly. Arian Smith, and, give us that vertical threat from the slot. We need those guys I back. I feel like he doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, at this point, man. I I, I don't know. Uh, it, I, like, Poofy's there now and gone. Yeah. What's that? It's like it's – like- Poofy's there and then he's gone again. Ari Mitchell. It's kind of like, remember Jonathan Rump from years past, like the Sasquatch? It's like, <laughs> we hear you're on the roster, you're listed, but where are you? <laughs> There's n- nowhere in sight. Yeah. We don't see you anywhere. Yeah, it's kind of kind of get that vibe from it. And it sucks, man, because Arian, I mean, he gives us something that nobody else can give it on, give us our, on our offense, at least to that level with that vertical thread. I mean, we saw against UAB and then he took one hit and 
I haven't seen him again. So hopefully we'll see him against Florida or somewhere down the road. I don't know. Uh, but Kenny McIntosh um, is a guy that's also been nursing an injury. I think he should be Especially ready. Especially with the injury to Kendall Milt now, we definitely need him. That's big, yeah, absolutely. Got, got to get him back. I think Kenny McIntosh is a really valuable player for us and do a lot of things out of backfield. Got a lot of versatility there. Really like him a lot. Um, obviously, Chris Smith. Got to get him back in a second. Dan Jackson's done a great job, but let's be real. We're a much better football team with Chris Smith back there. That's the reason he was starting. Yeah, I think we play, we play a lot more physical, uh, tight coverage with him. Yeah, he's just got more experience. I mean, he's just a better – I mean, Dan, Dan Jackson's a good athlete. He's an undervalued athlete, but he's not – Chris Smith level athlete not the Chris Smith's like an elite athlete he's just more of an athlete than than Dan Jackson is so all those guys we need to get healthy and not to even mention JT Daniels obviously so um an offensive line wise I mean Jamari's I think going to be fine it really hurts getting Tate Rattledge having him knocked out for the year because I was told him the season he was our best offensive lineman I think that has really hurt us on the interior now having to play Warren Erickson who is a center it's not his fault he's having to play guard he's doing the best he can playing guard but that hurts us some and he's not coming back, and that is what it is. But I, I'm, I totally, honestly, this probably is my biggest concern: with injuries, because we saw it last year, Curtis. It, I don't want to say that's exactly what derailed our season, but it kind of is, right? Like JT was healthy at the beginning of the year. It's a different story. It's a different team. It's a different season. Uh, if you don't have, as you laid out, all the injuries that happened in the Florida game, we might actually have won that game. Maybe not, but like we had a shot. But I mean, we were in it. I mean, we were in it up in portions of the second. I hope we're gonna make a little bit of a run there. Obviously, they pulled away. We were in it. Juan as a guy. Yeah, God, and had had poor Dwan Mathis. God bless him going out there and trying his best, man. Trying his best. I don't want to kill Dwan, but that that was um that was tough to watch. So I mean honestly, that's like when you have a season like this and you are as good as we are and you're as deep as we are, and that's like we're very fortunate that Kirby Smart has built a roster the way he's built it because we have been able to to kind of just say, All right, next man up and actually mean it. A lot of teams say next man up mentality, but they don't actually mean it because they can't actually do it. They don't have the, the depth behind it. We actually have that depth. But at some point, we're going to play a really good football team, or we're not going to play well. Or we're going to need those guys out there, and we can't get by with with you know the guys that we've been rolling with to this point. Like we've been able to get by it, by with it to this point. But we're going to play better teams eventually, and if we're going to win to the degree that we all want to win and do what we all want to do, I'm not going to say that loud. But if we're going to do what we all want to do, those guys got to get healthy. I mean, we like we just got to get healthy. That's and we cannot have any more injuries to keep people. Like it's just got to stop. Like it's just got to stop for us. That's honestly that's gonna be my biggest concern. A uh, couple more here, Curtis. Um, let's see. Carter Logan two says Tennessee deep ball, as you mentioned. Uh, if they find a way to slow down the pass rush, uh, let's see here. Got more health, uh, healthy offense. Yeah, injuries are the the theme here, man. Um, being bad, Bade 26 is playing against pass heavy offense like Oklahoma or Alabama. Let's talk about Oklahoma here for a minute, Curtis. It looks like Oklahoma right now is on track to make it to the Coswell playoff. If by the good grace of God, we stay healthy and we're able to make it to the Coswell playoff, and let's say we get matched up with Oklahoma in the semifinals, how would you feel about that matchup now that Caleb Williams has taken over in, in Norman? Um, I would be more caution cautionary with him at quarterback um because he can make things happen but you're also he's a freshman um it's one of those things where you can also try to get him in a situation that they're not used to um yeah so a lot can happen but they are definitely a lot more dangerous offense with him as their quarterback i will say they are clearly better offensively uh did you watch that Kansas game? That was a tough watch. I mean, uh, he he made some plays late in that game to help them win that game so, taking the ball from the running back when they were sh- when they were stuffed was just a really headsy yeah, play, man, for a freshman. Yeah. But he didn't play well in that game up to the, like the last couple minutes of the game. You're I, right. I mean, 
Yeah, he's he's a guy that I think is a really talented player, but as you said, he's a freshman, and there are going to be moments. There's going to be a game where he doesn't have it, like where he looks like a freshman. And I, I mean, well, I'm not only that, but again, even as they get more into the game, I mean, DJ, everyone hyped him up, and if you get in their face, you can mess with them. And Georgia has that that tendency. I can't remember what it, the stat what it is now, but I saw a it was a Kentucky sports writer was talking about how. He thought Kentucky had a, a ridiculous amount of quarterback pressures. And then he was like, but then I saw how many Georgia had. And I want to believe Georgia had like over 100-something. Kentucky had like maybe 50. And that yeah, just right there shows that, like what it can yeah. do to some, what it can do to some any quarterback if you get in their face enough, which we have shown we can. Absolutely. I, I agree. And that, and that does change, especially for a freshman. That changes things if he gets pressure. Well, and that and also helps our secondary. As much as people want to talk about our secondary, yep. you can mask a secondary when you can get pressure like we can. And that's been one of the keys. Like, why have we been so good in in past defense? Is it because we have the best cover guys in the secondary? No, that's not it. We have guys nope. that are good cover guys. I think Keely Rico is going to be elite. He's not quite there yet. He's still growing. He's getting better every week. I think Darian Kendrick does a good job for us. I think Lewis Seen's a really undervalued safety. I think, you know, a combination of Chris Smith and Dan Jackson have played well for us. But do we have the best cover guys back there? No. And Latavius Breeze did a really good job for us at star. But he's not the, the best cover guy. He's made some big plays in coverage. But he's not, the, like, the best cover guy out there. They're, they've been good enough. And you're right. Our pass rush, our ability to create havoc and pressure the quarterback has really, really helped out. And that's not going anywhere. Like, that's going to be there all year. So it's not like we're just going to sit there and have to cover these guys for five, six seconds back there. Our pass rush is eventually going to get there and then cause some problems. And honestly, with Oklahoma, I'm not convinced 100% that Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12. They're, they're the favorite right now, but like they've been – yeah, I know they put it on TCU a couple weeks ago with, with Caleb Williams in his first start. They've been skating by every other game. They really have. We know they should have lost to, to Texas, easily could have lost uh, to Kansas State. They should play Iowa State. They still got to play Baylor, who's a good football team. They should have to play Oklahoma State and probably play one of those teams again in the Big 12 title game. So I'm not convinced. Like, if they lose somewhere, if they slip up somewhere along the way with how Cincinnati has looked and if Cincinnati ends up going undefeated – Oklahoma just hasn't been dominant. Like, I think we might be able to slip up along the way with how dominant we've been and still get in, still sneak in that four spot maybe. I don't. I mean, you saw Oklahoma the just now in the coaches' poll or the AP poll. I can't remember which one it is, but Bama's already passed them. Bama has a loss. Yeah, and yeah I, Bama's I mean, exactly. already passed Yeah, I just, I just don't – I mean, we'll see when the committee actually puts their first rankings out next week. But, I mean, I, don't, I just don't know if they can lose a game, even if it's in the Big 12 title game. I don't know if they can lose a game and still make it in like they have in years past because – the, their resume is just not what it has, but they haven't been, they haven't beaten by the non-conference. They beat Nebraska. Oh, wow. Whoopee. And they've been skating by, by the skin of their teeth. So I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. But I do think if we played them in the, in the playoffs, it'd be an interesting match with Caleb was there. It's a different kind of animal in Oklahoma though, because they are not elite at receiver. Like they have been in the past. They don't have a CD lamb. They don't have a Hollywood Brown. They don't have a guy like that. So I don't know if they would pose as much of a challenge to us as they did. Like, I don't know, back in 2017. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Um, all right. Let's have some fun here, Curtis, and let's give out some mid-season awards. We've got about 15, 20 minutes left. Where I know we got to get out of here. I put these polls out on Twitter, and I put them on Instagram as well. And I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys the category. Uh, you can have some fun with this. I'll give you the listener results. And, Curtis, then I'm going to ask you to give me your winner as well. Sound good? Sounds good. Right, let's roll through this. All right, some of these are kind of funky and weird. We're going to save the best for last, the biggest ones for last. And we're going to start with the award for biggest second-year surge. This is a year-two player. Whether or not they played last year, if they were on the team last year, a member of the 2021 or 2020 recruiting class, I guess, would have been, um, then they qualify for this. So first nominee is wide receiver Lad McConkey, 30 catches. I'm sorry, 17 catches for 295 yards, two touchdowns. Jalen Carter, six tackles for loss. Two and a half sacks on the season. Keely Ringo's taking over that starting cornerback spot. And then Cedric Van Pran has held down the starting center spot. All those guys in their second year on campus. And the winner is Jalen Carter with 51% of the listener vote. Lad McConkey coming in as the runner-up with 30% of the listener vote. Curtis, did our listeners get this one right? I think no. And the reason I say no is because if correct me if I'm wrong, but you asked about the biggest jump. Second year surge, yep. And Jalen Carter showed out his first year. He did things that enough to where we actually put him at high high ranking in our top, you know, top returning Georgia players. So I'm actually to go with Keely Ringo because I think he's the biggest surge from being not even practicing last year to now locking down a position. And as good as Lad's played, he's also benefited for some injuries. And Keeley really hasn't been out there to. And it's not like Keeley has benefited from the guys. A lot of the guys in front of him going down. Well, and so I think he's actually gone out. out right now. That kind of that, yeah, he, but he, he already taken the job. I mean, yeah, he had already taken the job, and so I think that's why it's not where like he wasn't like McConkey was playing, but he would definitely not be seeing anywhere near the reps he is now if it hadn't been for the injuries. And that's why I'm going to go with Keely Ringo because I think he's shown the biggest surge from going to where he couldn't even have contact last year to now where he is. That's fair. And you answered this question. You handed out this award in what I intend to be the true spirit of the award. Now, I didn't explain the, the spirit of the award because I only have so many characters to use on social media. But I, I see, like, if, if you're going with, like, who's been the best second-year player? Well, yeah, Jalen Carter, absolute listener. Yeah, right, has been it, the it, best there's no question it's Jalen Carter if it's best. But Yeah, I mean, Jalen Carter is, like, he's not even a starter, but he's one of the best teams of linemen, I think, in the country, uh, which is crazy to say. That's how good we are up front. Um, I would – I see where you're going with Keeley. I'm not going to argue with you because that all makes sense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Lad McConkey some love here. You're right about Keeley being injured last year, but Lad – not injured, but wasn't a part of the rotation at all. He was a scout team guy. And he's worked his way up to being a big-time player. From like Now, he wasn't making big-time plays against Clemson, but he was playing big snaps against Clemson week one. And now he's – yes, he has benefited from injuries. I will grant you that 100% accurate there. But he's also had to take advantage of those opportunities. And he's what those opportunities have allowed him to do is show what he is capable of. And he has done it in a big way. I mean, I know only 17 catches, but I mean – he was a big reason why we were able to pull away from Auburn. Like, yes, those were schemed up by Todd Munkin. Absolutely great calls. But Ladd executed those to a T. Should have been two long touchdowns. Slight underthrow in the first one. Um, but still a nice big play. But I'm going to go Ladd McConkey here. It's hard to argue with Keeley, but I think Ladd has come from nowhere 
Uh, I don't think most people even know who this guy was co- coming into the uh, into the season. And I also have a factor in just the recruiting aspect of this. Keely was a former five-star guy, top 10 overall recruit. Lad was a, a throw-in, nobody that no one even talked about. And he's come in and he's um, he's had a little chip on his shoulder and he's worked his tail off and he's become a big-time player for us, a big-time playmaker for us. So I'm going to go Lad, but I, I like Keely as well. All right, next up here, this second award is for the – Best single game performance by a Georgia Bulldog in the first half of the season. Uh, the first nominee is Nicobe Dean versus Clemson in the season opener. He had five tackles and two sacks, and that game was all over the place. Second nominee is Stetson Bennett, the mailman, versus the UAB Blazers. 10 out of 12 for 288 yards, passing 24 yards in attempt. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions, nearly perfect outing for Stetson. Next up, we got Lad McConkey versus Auburn. Five catches, 135 yards, one touchdown. Should have been two, but it was one. And then our last nominee for best performance is tight end Brock Bowers versus Kentucky. Five catches, 101 yards, two touchdowns. Our listeners, this is a closer one. Our listeners have selected Lad McConkey versus Auburn as their winner with 35% of the vote. Coming in second with Stetson Bennett versus UAB with 26% of the vote and Brock Bowers a close third with 23% of the vote. Curtis, did our listeners get it right with Lad versus Auburn? Um, you know what? I'm going to say yes. Um, St- I, I would go with Stetson and Lad having like a close one-two. Um, but I just think that everything you're seeing from Lad is like a lot of what he's going out there and doing. Like Stetson put a lot of those good throws where the guys can make the plays and things happen. But I felt like Lad was going out there and doing it like a better individual performance where like he had the ball to be thrown to him and things. But I think like, in my opinion, his individually did, did most of it. It was a little bigger. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like it. All right. Um, I would also go with Lad here. Mailman. I I'm with you. I think it's a very, close second there but what's gonna seal the deal for me is the setting in the team that we were playing auburn is better than uab we know that that was a hostile environment and it was close at times in that game and both those plays by lad mcconkey were big time plays and big time moments that helped put us over the top and pulled away from auburn in that game in a hostile environment the first time he had played in that kind of environment and we had to have we were just, we were again it's like a mash unit out there and he Came up big when we needed him most in a big-time game. Um, Stetson was an awesome performance, but you got to factor in the competition. I do think UAB is a very good group of five team, and Stetson was nearly perfect in that game. Coming in, you know, obviously with JT being injured, and there was a lot of uh, consternation in the fan base, and Stetson kind of put us at ease right there, right from the get-go, and was just hitting big play after big play. So I would not fault anyone if they selected Stetson versus UAB, but I think – Based off the team we're playing in the situation, I think Lad McConkey is the correct answer. I think our listeners got this one right. All right, next up, we got Newcomer of the Year. Honestly, like this shouldn't even be an award because I think it's just a runaway. I, I hate even putting other people out there because it's going to be a shot at them. But uh, our first nominee is tight end Brock Bowers, who's got 25 catches on the year, 416 yards, six touchdowns, 16.5 yards per reception, leading the SEC among tight ends in both receptions and receiving yards. Uh, second nominee is Lad McConkey. Then we've got A.D. Mitchell, wide receiver A.D. Mitchell. And then I know he's not a freshman, our young guy, but he's a newcomer to our team, and that is cornerback Darion Kendrick. 
Uh, this one was a runaway, as you might imagine, Curtis. Brock Bowers won with 88% of the listener vote. Lad McConkey came in with 7% in second place. So is this as easy as I think it is? Yeah, I think there's no question that was the right um, right uh, decision. Is Brock Bowers the best tight end in America? Uh, I'd have to see it. I think um, I think he's close to it. I mean, I put uh, you know, the other guy from Notre Dame right now. Those are the only two Mayor. I can think of, but. Mayor yeah. Weidermeyer from AM, maybe. Uh, but Bowers got. Yeah, I'd probably. Higher, I think just because he, he's the full package right now, where I think Brock still has to improve, especially blocking. Fair. I mean, that's fair. Brock's put up better numbers, not by a ton, but he's put up better numbers at this point. Um, but yeah, it, it, he's, he's certainly up there. I mean, you can make the argument at this point, as a true freshman, which is crazy to say, he is the best tight end in the country. I don't, I'm not sure he's 100% the best tight end. But you can certainly make that argument. I actually might make that argument. Um, all right, next category here. This is for the biggest unsung hero on the team. So this is going to be the guy who has been a big-time player for us, has been a big part of why we've been winning at a high level, but doesn't get as much recognition as maybe some of his counterparts. And the first nominee is linebacker Quay Walker. Then we've got safety Lewis Seen, running back James Cook, and then Offensive lineman Jamari Salyer. And the winner is, with 38% of the listener vote, linebacker Quay Walker. Curtis, did our listeners get this one right? Um, I think that you could easily go, Quay. My answer is James Cook, and the fact is that a lot of the time you're when they're talking about our running backs, everyone's pushing Zamir. And Zamir has had a great season, and rightfully, I think, deserves it. Uh, especially when you go back to the Auburn game where he had that drop, we had that drive running the ball almost the whole time. Zeus was the one that really got a lot of credit for it. But I think that James Cook has really done a lot for us in the passing game, especially I think of how big that touchdown was against Kentucky where we clear out the middle. He breaks on the inside of those linebackers. He just made some big plays that – and he's even improved running between the tackles, where Zeus has, has improved where he struggled. Um, but so is James Cook, and I think that no, people aren't recognizing as much as how James has – to me, he's almost become the complete package as a running back um, co- pertaining to out of the backfield and – or, I mean, receipt, catching the ball out of the backfield and running the ball. Where Quay, as good as he is, you also have Channing Tindall, who I think could easily be in that conversation between those two guys being both undervalued. Um, but I'm going to go with James Cook. Yeah, this is a really hard one for me. I, I love your your defense there, the James Cook answer. I mean, Jamari Sally, offensive linemen by definition are just undervalued because no one really understands what they're doing. It's only, they only pay attention when they give up sacks. Um, but he's been our best offensive lineman, and we've had some injuries on the offensive line, and he's been a kind of a staple there. And he's kind of been that that stabilizing force up front for us. So I think that could, would be a really good answer. I'm going to go Quay here. I, you guys know how I feel about Quay Walker. I think Quay Walker is a potential first-round draft pick in the NFL next year. I, I think at least a second-round draft pick. I think he can play himself into the first round. He's just got the, he's got the, the measurables that NFL scouts are going to drool over. He's playing at a really high level. Obviously, Kobe is that kind of the quarterback of the defense there. And you're right. Chain Tindall has been in there and made a lot of plays for us as well. He could also be a nominee for this category, to be honest with him or Quay. But I'm, I went with Quay here because uh, he's a guy that's, that stars and plays usually plays a little bit more snaps than than Tyndall does. So I, I I'm going to go with our listeners here. I think it's a, this is maybe the closest one we've had. 
Um, I could also go with James Cook as well, Curtis. You're right. He's kind of in the shadow of Zamir White. We split a lot of carries, but James Cook has made some big plays for this season. I think he's going to continue to make big plays for us. I think you can even make an argument for Lewis Seen. He's another guy in the defense. Let's talk about this number one defense in all these categories. And Lewis Seen has been a, a multi-year starter now. And gets, it doesn't really get talked about uh, much at all because it maybe was him been challenged through the air to this point. But he's been a guy that just knows what to do. He flies the football. Coaches trust him back there. He's another leader on that defense. So I think he's you can make an argument for him as well. But I'm going to go with Quay Walker. Um, all right, Kurt, we're going to go rapid fire these next couple ones uh, real fast here. This next one is for Coach of the Year through the first half of the season. So nominee number one is defense coordinator Dan Lanning. Then we've got offense coordinator Todd Munkin. Defensive line coach Trey Scott, obviously without defensive line has been playing. And then head coach Kirby Smart. And the winner is, in our listener vote, Dan Lanning, runaway winner with 51% of the vote. Todd Bunk came in second with 25. Kirby Smart, the head man himself, only 13%. Curtis, did our listeners get it right with Dan Lanning? I think I'm going to go Trace, or no, I want to go Trace Scott realistically, but I'm going to go with Todd Monken. And the reason is all the injuries that he has gone through between quarterbacks, receivers, um, all those things. And yet he still found, put together game plans to put us in successful positions. Um, As good as Dan Lanning has coached and everything, I feel like the biggest thing is we have a lot of minds back out on that side between Kirby, Muschamp, all those people I think can contribute. And our defense is just realistically stacked. We have a stacked defensive roster where offensively we are good offensively but we like i said we battled through some of those injuries in the game plans and things like that and yet we've still gone out there and executed at a high level i mean todd munkin is maybe the biggest reason why we've been able to weather all these injuries offensively i mean it's he's been masterful and i know we haven't put up massive numbers offensively but he's been masterful as you said curtis with how he's been able to game plan around all the injuries he's had to deal with I mean, it's like week by week, who we have available? I don't know, but you know what? What I do know is top. You even look, you even look at the difference between Stetson and JT. Like, there's two different game plans you can come up with as a coach. Where JT, you kind of want to attack more through the air, and Stetson, you can kind of try to be more balanced because what he can bring to you in the run games and different things like that. And yet, he's still on the like. I mean, he's put together game plans, and you know, it feels like game plans. Realistically, I don't know what people if people realize this, but they're made. It, way in advance of a lot of the time because that's why we have some of these support staffs that break down the film weeks in advance so that they're co- it's ready to go and i feel like we've changed our game plans kind of on the fly more so this year yeah i, I agree and todd munkins he's just been he's been awesome man he's been a difference maker for us so i'm gonna go with him as well all right got a couple minutes here curse about five minutes i'm gonna run through these last couple ones real quickly here offensive mvp through the first half of the season we've got brock bowers nominee number one zamir white is our second nominee Jamari Salyer, and then Stetson Bennett the fourth, right? Stetson Bennett the fourth. Uh, yeah, uh, and this might surprise you, Curtis. It's probably going to get under your skin. Our listeners have chosen Stetson Bennett as the offensive MVP, MVP through the first half of the year. 54% of the vote. It was very close. Brock Bowers with 46%. They were the only two that got votes in this category. Did the listeners get it right with Stetson? No, I think it's Brock Bowers all the way. Um, no matter who the quarterback's been, he's been out there getting making plays happen. So that's why I want to go with him because, like I said, it doesn't matter who's out there. He's still making things happen. Um, and he's he's only getting better each and every week. Um, and he makes up for some bad throws between both quarterbacks. I mean, he's an eraser out there. He catches almost everything that's thrown at him, and yet he goes out there and makes plays. So I think that it's him because he is, especially with all the injuries we've had at wide receiver, him stepping up has made it not as hurt as bad. Fair enough. I'm going to real quickly, I'm, I'm going to go Stetson here. Uh, it's hard to argue the Brock because he has been a baller from day one. 
Uh, but Stetson Bennett, man, like think about this, Kurt. Where would we be right now without Stetson Bennett? Talking about most valuable player with injuries to JT. Are we winning all these games with Carson Breck or, Bar- or Brock Vandegrift? I don't know the I don't know if the answer is yes right now. I think to me that's why I put Stetson over the top. And he's played well. I mean, 996 yards, 11 touchdowns, two picks, 91.5 QBR, 12.1 yards per attempt, which is first in the SEC. And oh, by the way, guys, second in America in yards per attempt. So Stetson's played awesome. Now, has he been as dynamic as maybe JT was? No, but you know what? Without him, I don't know if we're undefeated right now. So I, that's why I'm going to give Stetson my MVP award. Uh, but Brock's hard to argue with that one. All right, defensive MVP on the other side of the ball. Got Jordan Davis. We've got linebacker Nicobe Dean. Defensive lineman Jalen Carter. And outside linebacker Adam Anderson. And the winner is Jordan Davis with 60% of the vote. Nicobe Dean coming in second at 36%. Curse our listeners get that one right. I do believe so because as good as uh, Nicobe has been or even any of the inside linebackers, I think a lot of it has to do behind the play of Jordan Davis and some of the other D linemen. So I'm definitely going Jordan Davis. I think it's no question it's him in my opinion. Yes, I want to add to that, but I'm going to save it for this next one. I think it applies more to our last category, and that is the overall team MVP. So offense, defense, doesn't matter. Team MVP. We've got defensive lineman Jordan Davis, tight end Brock Bowers, Linebacker Nicobe Dean and quarterback Stetson Bennett. And the winner is Jordan Davis with 42% of the vote. Stetson Bennett coming in second with 31% of the vote. Curtis, did our listeners get that one right? Once again, I agree 100%. And the biggest reason is you saw, I mean, even with Nicobe Dean, he was playing well last year, not at this high of a level. But we were really like, you saw the difference in the defense from when Jordan Davis went out. And then also when he came back, our defense kind of changed again and it's all on his back Curtis I totally agree with you here now this is a tough one for me I will say because I think that if you look at what I just said earlier about Stetson Bennett I think you can make a very strong argument that if Stetson Bennett had left and transferred hit the portal after last season which you know a lot of people would have done that we would very well not be undefeated right now I think that's a very distinct possibility because I don't know if Carson Beck and or Brock Vinegriff are ready right now to have led us to victories in some of those games. Now, let's on the flip side, you can say, well, like those teams aren't really scoring on us, so we still probably would have won, maybe just not as convincingly. And that's a fair argument too. I guess you could say that, that say that as well. We're only giving what six point six points per game, something like that, whatever it is. But you also don't know what kind of bad spots those quarterbacks would have potentially put the defense in as well. So I think there's at least a possibility that we would not be undefeated right now if Stetson Bennett did not stick around and was not playing the level he's playing at in the absence of JT Daniels. So for that reason, I think you can make an argument in terms of like the most valuable, like emphasis on the valuable part, most valuable player, you think you can make an argument for Stetson. But as we said at the outset of the show, I, I kind of went down that list of all those crazy stats. Number one here, number two there, number one here, number one, number one, number two, whatever. We have this dominant defense. And we have a bunch of really good players on that dominant defense. But the straw that stirs the drink, that really makes it all work, the one guy that's truly indispensable in that defense that we just can't do without because we don't really have it. I'm not going to say we can't do without him. We still be really good up front without Jordan Davis, but we don't have another guy that does exactly what Jordan does. If we lose to Kobe Dean, that would suck. And he, when he got banged up last week and there was talk about him maybe not being able to play, it's like, oh my God, here we go again. But no, it looks like he'll be fine. But like, even if Kobe was hurt, that would suck. Kobe's a big part of what we do. We still have some really talented players behind him and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. Is that hurt death a little bit? Sure. But we would be okay. If you lose Jordan Davis, it's like, 
I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Like, we're still going to be really good, but we don't have anyone that can come in and do what Jordan Davis does. We saw that last year when he got hurt in that Kentucky game. Against Florida, we we just got killed, and, and there were other reasons for that as well. But don't get me wrong. There were, but Jordan Davis not being in there, not, and they ran the ball better than they should have, better than they had been all year, and they couldn't really run the football at all last year on us. Now, obviously, the pick plays and, and all that kind of thing were really hurting us, but Jordan Davis not being in there, we're a different team without him. We absolutely are, because what he does, and he eating up the those double teams. I've said this many times. I'll say it again. He allows us to stop the run. He makes it possible for us to stop the run, makes it easier for us to stop the run with our front six, which allows us to play coverage behind that, keep a too high safety shell. We can do a lot of different things from a coverage standpoint, more things that we can do from a coverage standpoint than we could if we had to roll a safety down the box. We're not as predictable with our coverages. We're able to protect guys like Keely Ringo a little bit, give them some more support over the top. We just stay more structurally sound in the back end when we're able to stop the run the way that we are. Not just stop it, but absolutely just stifle the run game with our front six. I mean, guys, we've only given up 14 plays of 20 or more yards in the season. That's number one in the country. Why is that the case? Jordan Davis is the number one reason for that. There's other reasons. We have other really good players, but Jordan Davis is at the top of that list because he allows us to stay structurally sound from a coverage standpoint. And without him, I don't know if that's the case. I think we might have to start rolling guys in the box more often against some of those teams that can really run the football. Like, oh, I don't know, Florida, for instance. And that opens up things and possibilities for them to hit those plays down the field and create big play opportunities for those opposing offenses. So for that reason, I'm going Jordan Davis because the defense is what's driving this team and Jordan Davis's presence is what drives our defense. So for me, I love Stetson. You can make an argument for him. I would certainly listen to that argument. I'm going to go Jordan Davis here. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I know it's uh, coming off a of bye week and we have a game. So you're like, well, why do they even have an episode? Well, we know you want to hear Georgia football talks. So we want to make sure we put some content out for you guys. And we thought it'd be fun to kind of just take a, a mid-season look at where we are right now. Obviously, we're sitting here number one in the country, 7-0. We want to keep that going. We have a long road in front of us. But uh, it's fun to kind of just take stock and just enjoy the moment. Because that's one thing I've been trying to work on as a, as a Georgia football fan. You guys know I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to Georgia football. So sometimes it's like, obviously, I enjoy it. I live for it. But there's also times where it's like torture, right? Because you just you want us to win so badly. And you want so badly for this to be the season. And it's like every game I go into, I know that we're the better team and we should win this football game, but I'm just like so overwhelmingly nervous going to every game. But what I'm trying to tell myself here and what I'm working on personally is just living in the moment and enjoying the now because like this could be a special season. Knock on wood, we don't know what it's going to end up being, but it has the makings. The possibility is certainly there. We've done what we have to do to this point to put ourselves in a position for it to be that case. And I want to enjoy that, right? I don't want to look back, you know, 20 years down the road and be like, man, I was just a ball of nerves. I was a nervous wreck the entire time. I hardly enjoyed it. So I'm trying to work on that myself and to and kind of put the nerves away. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of just sit back, take stock, enjoy where we are right now, knowing full well that we have a long road ahead of us and there's a lot of football left to play and we have absolutely not won any championships of any sort right now and there are going to be challenges along the way down the road absolutely but still just sit back and enjoy where we are right now talk about where we are why we are where we are and just kind of soak it in for a little bit i thought that would be a a fun thing for us to do here on this podcast but uh, all right guys thanks for listening we really do appreciate it for curtis i'm tyler 
We'll be back with a lot of content covering this cocktail party later on this week. Make sure to check back then. And as always, go dog.